Go ahead and take your Bibles out and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at some of the passages that Pastor Scott read this morning. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. But we've been in a series on worship, and we continue that this morning, looking at questions about what is worship, who do we worship, things of that nature. Last week, Pastor Spencer preached on private worship and family worship. If you didn't, weren't, didn't be, if you weren't able to hear that, it is online, uh, so you can do that. Uh, but today, the question is a simple question: Why gather together? Why do we gather together? And when you think about this word "gathering," I just want you to think of how important that is in our in our culture, and probably how important it is it is to you. Think about your family. Why do families gather together? Why do we? Why do we do that? There's, there's got to be something uh, to that. And I think as we, as we age, that answer can differ a little bit in our, in our minds. I remember when Amanda and I were dating, her dad, we'd say, can we do this tonight? And her dad, he, he was the mean one. He'd say, no. We'd be like, why? There's nothing going on. Why can't we do this? And he used to say this phrase. It used to frustrate us to death. He'd say, uh, just because I want everybody home. We're like, what? You're not even going to be together. You're going to be in your room. You're going to be over here. They're going to be in the basement. We're not even together. What's the purpose here? But as I've gotten older and have, have a family now with children who are gone a lot and all these things, I understand a little more of what that means, right? Just being in the same home together, there's something to that. And maybe when you gather with your family, it's fun because you get to be with aunts and uncles and and uh, grandmas and grandpas and parents and there's kids running around and you get to hug each other, you get to talk to each other, you get to eat together, you just get to enjoy each other's company. There's something to that, isn't there? But it just can't be done. Gathering just simply cannot be done, can it, with families uh, by Zoom or over the phone. It's just not the same. Or why do communities gather? Why do communities find it so important to do a Christmas tree lighting downtown? Or why do we have a fair? Why do we have all these different things that give opportunity for the community at large to come and to gather together? It's because the community needs that, don't we? It's a good time to be with neighbors or with friends. A big place for gathering now is at schools and sporting events and different things. We we enjoy that. It, it feels good to be a part of that. There's something to it. Even though the football team is awful, it's fun to at least go and watch. Why? Because you're together. You hear the band going. It's, it's triumphant. And gathering together for the one cause together is special. Or teams. If you've ever been a part of a team, teams seem to find it important to gather together. It's not uncommon for the basketball team, football team, whatever it might be, to have a team dinner before the game. Why do they... What's the purpose of that? They're not playing. They're not practicing. Why do we think it's so important for them to gather together before? Well, we would say it builds camaraderie. Helps them to become friends. Helps them to get closer together. It allows parents maybe even to be involved. And again, you're, you're building this community and this support team as you gather together. And so our question this morning is why is, it, why is this gathering so important? Not even asking necessarily what do we do at the gathering. That's coming but why is just gathering together here in this place an important thing to do? Now, I know that we have two types of people in this room. 
There are some of you, when I talk about gathering together with family, gathering together with community, getting together with team, or maybe it's a work party, when you hear these types of things, for you, you're like, yes, I can't wait for that. You love it. You love being together with people. You're one of those weird people. You love the Monroe County Fair. You just like walking around, all these people around. It just does something to you. You love parking six miles back, walking all the way in. You love that stuff. That's some of you this morning. You like going to the Lions game. You like going to these different sporting events or concerts. Why? Because there's something about just all those people together, and it, it really lifts you up. It gives you energy. There's others, though, in this room. That sounds awful to you. Amen, that's right. I'm with you. Yesterday, my son had a cross-country meet, and we pull into the Metro Park, and I remember taking a big breath when I saw the parking lot, and it was kind of like, all right, here we go. There's a lot of people here. I don't want to deal with this, but I'm dealing with it. That's what we're doing right now. I, I tend to fall more in that category. When I was younger, teenage years, I loved going to Michigan games. Now, a hundred and some thousand people, nope. I'd rather watch my TV. I don't want to do that. And so gatherings seem to, if I'm honest, drain me. It's kind of draining. And I even find myself in the mix of gatherings to try to find alone time within the gathering. Try to find my own quiet spot. My own little place. And so I just want to recognize that there's two types of people in this room this morning when it comes to gatherings. But I want us to look at this question, why does the church gather together? And what I want to alleviate is I don't want you to be able to say, because I hear this at times, I'm just not much of a people person. I just really don't like gathering with others. Can't this be done a different way? And I hope we see that question very clear. I also want to answer the question, is there a difference between the church gathering and all these other gatherings? What's happening when we actually gather as a church, as the body of Christ? And I hope that we're able to unpack this this morning according to the word of God. And again, I think we need this because I don't know if everybody in here could answer that question this morning. Why are you here? I want you to think of that. I give you freedom to answer that freely this morning. Why did you come here this morning? Some of you, from the ages of five to 17, you're here because you were forced. Your parents made you come here. You had, you had no choice. But for those of you in that boat, listen, five-year-olds and 17-year-olds, listen to this part. Your parents who brought you, some of them, they feel forced too, that's why they're here. The legacy of their grandma, the legacy of their parents, of what their parents had them do. For some of us this morning, if we're being honest, we endure the Sunday morning gathering of the church because it's something you do, right? It's what makes us good, it's what makes us right, and so we grit our teeth and we get through it. But you, why are you here? I can't, I can't answer that for you. I think I answered it for some of us this morning. But why gather here in this place? Do you enjoy it? Are you getting something out of it? Are you 
able to do something here that you can't do somewhere else? What is it with Sunday morning gathering that causes you to come every week or every other week or once a month or however often you're here? I think that's a fair question. And I think we need to look at God's word and see what he says about gathering to maybe help us to understand the importance of what we do here this morning on Sunday. Why it is important. So Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 25. i do my best to read this this morning. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we ask this question, why gather together? I think the first answer is very clear. It's because God commands that we do it. God commands his people to gather together. In the Old Testament, we see this all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, sin has entered the land. We now are on the story. You have Cain and Abel. You have all of that happening and taking place. And then in Genesis chapter 4, towards the end of that chapter, verse 26, it says, To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so already, we have a gathering of people who are gathering together to call on the name of the Lord. This is the first instance of church. It's what's taking place. But as you continue in the Old Testament, we see another time, which we've talked about a lot so far in this worship series, but we have to do it again, uh, with the people of Israel in Mount Sinai. You remember, they were freed from Egypt. Uh, God drives them out. He, he takes them to this mountain where he's going to give them the law. He's going to speak to them. He's going to share with them. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, he said, uh, Moses says, How on that day, on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. So we see, what is he commanding? A gathering. Now, if you believe in the God that I believe in, why does God need a gathering for them to hear him? He just put it in their heads, couldn't he? Each of you stay in your own home, and you'll get a vision. You're all going to get the same vision, and it's going to be of me for God. So do you guys just stay in your homes and do that? That's not how God did it. For some reason, he tells everybody to come and to gather together. And this was such an important day that it, it kind of lives in infamy still, but it did in Jerusalem because in Deuteronomy 18, verse 16, Moses calls this day a special day. He says, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. On the day of the assembly. It's like, that's what everybody knew it was. On the day of church. Do you remember that day, people, at Sinai? When God spoke to us, we heard him. He said, I'm your God. You are my people. Obey my commands. Here are my commands. Do you remember that gathering? Do you remember that assembly? It was a very important day in the history of Israel. 
and in our history as well. Now, there's other times when God had commanded his people to gather in the Old Testament. He did it uh, with the Day of Atonement. So once a year, the people were called to assemble together uh, before God. Again, we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 8. He says, For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there should be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. And so once a year, they were called together on the Day of Atonement to come before the Lord and to gather together, and in this case, repenting of sin, having the sacrifices be done. And so there are other times, there are solemn assemblies in Scripture we can see. There's festivals where they would assemble together. There were feasts where they were called to assemble assemble together. There were certain holy occasions where the people of Israel were called to assemble together. Special devoted times to God. Now, As we continue through the Old Testament, I find it important to read a section of Isaiah 1, 13 to 14. Because there was still a problem within Israel with gathering together because there were times when they would assemble together, even though called by God to assemble, but God did not like how they were assembling. So in Isaiah 1, 13 to 14, it says, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assemblies. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Oh, let that never be said of our assembly. Right? That's why, this, that's why we think this series is so important. Let that never be said of our assembly as we gather together to worship, where God's like, you know what? I'm sick of you coming. I'm sick of you being here. I'm sick of the sacrifices. I'm sick of the incense. I'm sick of the songs. I'm sick of everything that you're doing because you're not doing it how you should be doing it. And that's what was happening in Israel. As they were gathering, they were not gathering how they were called to gather and how they should gather. And so the gatherings were displeasing to the Lord. Well, as we get to the New Testament, we kind of see a change. We start to see a shift in gathering because when we get to the New Testament and we get to the work of Christ, And we see what Jesus has done, the perfect life that he lived, the death on the cross, the resurrection, his ascension. Things started to change within the body of Christ. And we actually see Paul begin to argue pretty emphatically in Colossians, which I'll read, but also in Galatians, that there's no longer a need for the festivals, for the feasts, and for a lot of these assemblies that was called in the Old Testament because Christ had come and fulfilled those things. Those were a shadow. Those were a picture of what was to come and what had been fulfilled in Christ. And so Paul, like in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he's talking to Gentiles. You remember in Galatians? He's talking to Gentiles, and these Jews were coming in, and they were telling the Gentile Christians, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised. If you really want to be a Christian, you need to observe these holidays and these things that the Jews were told to do. And what does Paul say in Galatians? Absolutely not. No. Christ has filled them all. It is complete. We rest in him. Those were a shadow, as it says there in Colossians, Those were a shadow of the things to come, and Christ has come. And so no longer do we have to do that. We don't have to celebrate these different Sabbaths. We don't celebrate anymore 
the day of atonement. Why? Well, it's because of what we read in Hebrews chapter 10. Christ died once for all for sins. So we don't gather together every year, once a year as a church family and say, God, please accept this sacrifice today on our, on our behalf for our sins. We don't have to do that anymore. Christ has done that for us once completely forever. So we don't have to observe these things anymore. Yet, we still see in the New Testament the believers of Christ gathering together. We still see some sort of practice and a command to meet together. We see that there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And so it was already said, it seems, it was already commanded to gather together because the writer of Hebrews feels the need to discipline some of the people in the church saying, you're not meeting together like you're supposed to do. You know this. You know that we gather together and they're not doing that. And so the writer says, we have to deal with this. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the church gathering to hear the word of God. That's what they do. They gather to hear the word of God. They gather to partake in the Lord's Supper and baptism, and they sing together. We see this all over in Acts. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12 is one of those places. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. The church gathering together in a place that they could do it that was big enough for all of them so that they could hear teaching and so that they could see the works of the Lord being done. And so in the New Testament, the gathering of the people, while done a little different than the Old Testament, there still is this importance of the gathering of the people of God. And when the church gathers together, it is a very different gathering than the gatherings that I talked about at the beginning of the service. It's different than when your family gathers. It's different than when the community gathers. There's something special taking place when the church gathers. And it's because as we gather as a church, we gather together as God's chosen people, God's called people, God's loved people. In fact, the Greek word for church, ecclesia, it means the gathered, the assembled. That, that's what church means, the, the gathered people. Maybe you've heard it said before, uh, this building isn't the church. What's the church? We are the church. Let me take that a little farther. We are the church when we're gathered. When we're gathered together is when we are the church family, right? Worshiping God together. That's what comes from, from this word, this, this Greek word. And so when we gather together each week and we gather here in this room, this is where we do it. We gather together in this room each week. What are we doing? We are declaring, number one, whose we are. We, we are God's people. Nothing else. That's what brings us together. We're gathering together because of who he is. Right? We talked about this already. When, who do we worship? Who he is? He's holy. That's who he is. We are not. And we gather together because of what he has done. This holy God sent his only son to die for your sin and for my sin. And this is why we gather together. There's no better motivation to gather together. There's really no other reason to gather together. We gather because of him. And we do it regularly. Do you remember what Ephesians says? Ephesians chapter one, verse three through six. 
You remember Ephesians 1, 3 through like 11, I think, or 14, I can't remember now off the top of my head, was like one big sentence. But in 3 through 6, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the group that's gathering together. Who's being talked about here? The love of the Father has been poured out on this group of people. And we have the privilege to come and to worship him and to gather as he has called us to gather together. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've trusted in the work of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have to remember something. You have been made new. The old is gone and the new has come. And so what's happening when we gather in this room? The new are gathering together. The old are out there. They haven't been made new. They haven't put their faith in Christ. They have not trusted in him. And so they don't have that story. That's not part of them. And so we are distinct from them. We are different from them. And we're gathering together as distinct as different because we gather to focus on the one who's made us new. And so as we gather, the church gathers to worship God as one. Yes, we're a bunch of individuals, but we come in here to gather as one. You see, I think too quickly, the church forgets why we gather together. Uh, we don't gather together just to see each other. We don't gather together just to hear preaching or to sing or what all these different things. Again, we gather together to worship God alone, to praise him for what he's done, to praise him for what he's doing. But also, as we gather together, we all together are declaring our allegiance to him again and again. We're able to look around the room and to say, oh yeah, look at them. They worship him too. Oh, and them. He saved them too, and them, saved them too. And here we are gathering together to pledge our allegiance again to him and to this family, the new creation, right? And so we do not gather, and catch this, this is gonna be controversial for some. We do not gather together today to reach the lost. No, we don't do that today. We're gathering as a new creation to worship him. We don't gather together today to consume. Uh, that's not why we're here. You can't sit there as a new creation, saved by God's grace, coming together with all of these people to worship as one and then sit there and think about yourself and your preferences. You can't do that. You can't rightly sit there and say, come on, pastor, what you got for me today? Come on, church, what are you gonna give me today? I need something to fill my tank so I can last the rest of the week. No, no, we don't come in here to consume. We gather to worship God together in one voice. And as we gather, as I said, we're reminded of whose we are and what he calls us to. One thing specific is he calls us to each other, doesn't he? We see that all over scripture. 
as God calls us together, he calls us together. And so we're united together and he calls us to each other. There's a book out there, it's called Corporate Worship. It's by Matt Merker, it's a real small book. Uh, it's, a, it's a good book. I don't know if we have those. Do we have those? No. Uh, it's a good book. It's been helpful in thinking about worship. But he has a quote in there, and it says this. It says, just as the sight of the bride makes the groom's heart swell with love. Now, you remember that moment, guys in here who are married? I hope you still feel that way, somewhat, at least. I remember that moment. I was standing right there. And those doors opened, and here she comes, Right? And you get all excited, your heart flutters, and you're thinking, don't cry because you look like a wuss. But you do. So just as the sight of the bride makes the groom's heart swell with love, church members should overflow with affection for one another when they behold the assembly. This is the people whom Jesus bought with his own blood. This is the people who have committed to care for me, to put up with my faults, and to point me to Christ again and again. See, as we gather in this room and we see each other, I'm reminded of your hurts. I'm reminded of the difficult things that you go through in your life. I'm reminded when I see some of you of how you've helped me in the past with different things. And I'm reminded that God has brought all of us together for the purpose of encouraging each other, of lifting each other up, and to point each other to Christ again and again and again. And so there's probably people in this room this morning that you at one time were very frustrated with. You're thinking, why are you on my case? But now you can look back and you know they were on your case because you were going away you shouldn't. And because you are their brother or their sister in the Lord, they were doing their best to pull you back to him. Come back to him. This is what's best. You're going into the world. Remember, you're a new creation. The old is gone. Don't go to that. Come back here. And during that time, it was frustrating to you. Why are they always on my case? But now you can look at them and say, oh, I thank God for them. They saved me from destruction. They saved me from fleeing and going away. Those things can only happen if we gather. It only happens in the gathering. Last week, I had the chance to sit right back there. I was here last week. I couldn't preach because I had had eye surgery. So I couldn't see uh, to read really that good. And I was sitting in the back. And I gotta tell you, I have mixed feelings about sitting back there. Uh, for one, I realized if I sit back there where my mom's sitting right now, I can see every single one of you almost as good as I see you right now. And there was some good in that because I can see all of you. And you think, oh, look at everybody who's here today. There was some bad in that because it's extremely distracting. You see, up here, I'm focused. I've got my notes. I know the scriptures that I need to be going to. I know my points. And I'm trying to get this out as fast as I possibly can so we can then go off and eat lunch. Well, when I'm sitting back there, I have no notes. I have less focus. And distraction was very easy. And I noticed myself getting very distracted very easily. And I was sharing that with the pastors on Monday as we were talking about Sunday. I said, it just, it just felt different back there. Up here, you're engaged. You're, you're focused in. You don't notice everything all the time behind. And so I understand that as we gather together, 
There are distractions. There are faults. There is imperfection. But again, the fact of the matter is God saved you sitting way in the back who, yes, I can see you under the balcony. I can see what you're doing way over there. I can see you in the corners. I can see my family over there. He brings us together and has saved us together to encourage each other and to come and to lift up his name because of what he's done for us. But also when we gather, we're declaring our differences with the world, aren't we? See, today, one of the common things with church strategy is to be as as close to resembling the world as you possibly can. That's kind of what it is. Let them them see how you are so much like them, right? So they know that you're not weird. so So that then maybe they'll listen to what you have to say about Jesus. And so, you know, dress like them, sound like them, watch the stuff they watch, listen to the stuff that they listen to. But you know, within reason, be in the world, but not of the world. You know what that means, right? So do your best to smell like everybody out there so that they're comfortable to come in here. There's a problem, isn't there? When we gather in this room together, we are declaring that we are not like the rest of the world. We're declaring not our commonality, but we're declaring our differences. I can declare my commonality with the world at the Michigan game. I can declare my commonality with the world in all kinds of places out there. Oh yeah, I like this kind of music, I go to that, right? Oh, I like these sort of things, I'll go with you to that. But when we gather in this room, it's not about declaring, oh, this is how we're all alike. No, we, we come in this room and we sing songs like, behold our God seated on the throne. And to the rest of the world, they're like, what? That sounds so weird. And we're like, yeah, I know. That's why this really isn't for you. He's not your God. Your God's not seated on the throne. Your God is football. Your God is your children. Your God is money. Your God is your employment. Your God is all those things out there. That's not my God. I'm very different than you. Oh, I go to work. Oh, I like some sports. Oh, I like these different things. Don't get me wrong. But my God sits on the throne. And he saved me. And he saved these people in this room with me. And he's gathered us together to worship him. And only we can know him because he has saved us. So as we gather in this room, all different, we are showing the world what the love of Jesus does by bringing together all kinds of people under one roof to worship him. Some of you in this room, you have a savings account. There's others of you in this room, you don't. You might have one on paper. There's nothing in it. Some of you drove in in certain cars. Some of you drove in in other cars. Some of you are north side of town people. Some of you are south side of town people. Some of you come from the south. Some of you've lived here your whole life, right? We, we, we cross all different types of borders. Some of you like Sports, some of you like to be creative. Some, there's all these different things in this room as we gather together. But what we do is we show the world that what the love of Christ does is it spans past all these differences.
race, wealth, all these uh, nationalities. Go on and on and on. Because we gather to worship him and to care for each other because we are in Christ. Quickly, as we gather as a church, I want you to realize that it's something supernatural that happens here each week because it is God who gathers us together. You remember me saying at the beginning of the sermon, I do not like gatherings. They're not fun for me. But it's God who gathers us together. It's not Tim who gathers us together. It shouldn't be guilt. It's, it's God who gathers us together. And just like God gathered his people at Mount Sinai so that he could call to them and speak to them so that they could hear from him, today he's doing the exact same thing. The same command for Israel to gather around Mount Sinai is the same command for us to gather this morning and to gather as the church. He calls this assembly together. And it's God's presence amongst us that makes this unique. It's God's presence amongst us that makes this supernatural. I remember hearing when I was younger, I've said this before, that when we gather together like this, what we're doing is we're practicing for heaven. And I've come to realize more and more how false that statement is. And if you say that statement, I'd ask you to not say that statement because it's not a true statement. Because what the Bible actually teaches is when we gather together here this morning, we're not practicing for anything. We actually together are tasting the heavenly things in this room this morning. It's no practice. We're not practicing for anything. We are experiencing it. We are tasting it. We are, we are feeling it. We are a part of it. God is in this room when we gather together to worship him in the name of Christ. And we need to understand that. This is very important because, again, in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, this is a, a hard passage for, for some. But notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying, once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, there are those who've been a part of your gathering. They've tasted it. Oh, they've tasted that worship. They've tasted that heavenly experience. But they've chose to go away. They chose to leave. They chose to abandon and the, the writer here is talking about how difficult it'll be to ever bring them back. But what happened? He doesn't say, well, they had practiced up. No. He says they have tasted it, the heavenly things. That's what's happening this morning as we gather. Each week, we get to taste heaven according to God's standards and according to God's ways. It's his design for worship that works. It's his design for worship that we should follow because he's the one who's to be orchestrating it. He's the one to be planning it. And I gotta tell you, it is so freeing to know that it's not human innovation that drives faithful worship to God. But instead, it's doing what God has ordained that drives it. And so, when we partake of that Lord's Supper, that's what God has ordained for us to do as we worship. We are tasting the heavenly things. When we get to witness a baptism, we are tasting 
the heavenly things that God has given us and that he works through and how he speaks to us. When you hear the word of God preached and it's done faithfully and true according to scripture, whether the guy is monotone or whether the guy is extremely exciting, you have tasted of the heavenly things. When you sing a song together and worship to God that is a faithful song, you've tasted of the heavenly things. When you give, because we're called to give in worship, you've tasted the heavenly things. These are the means by which God has ordained for us to worship him and to partake in the heavenly things. We don't need to come up with our own ways. He's given us his ways. And so I think a fair question would be, Pastor Tim, why do you think it's so important to preach a sermon just on gathering? Why would you take a whole Sunday and now like 40 minutes to focus on the gathering? In that book that I talked about before, Corporate Worship uh, by Matt Merker, he, he wrote in there four things that a strong view of gathering together helps. I wanna share with you what, what the four things, it, it'll be really quick. Because I think this is missing for most churches today and in the lives of most Christians today. When we have a strong view of what's happening here, of what God is doing as we gather, then worship is no longer formalistic. We don't just go through the motions because it's just something we do. All of a sudden, when we take of the bread and we drink of the cup, or when we see baptism, or when we hear the word of God preached, or when we get to sing a song, all of a sudden, it's not just a routine, it's something supernatural taking place that the world doesn't even understand. But that's happening here with us. Worship also then is no longer individualistic when we understand the importance of gathering. We gather together as the committed, why? To endure to the end and to help each other in that endeavor, to love each other in Christ. And so what ends up happening of when we understand how important the gathering is, all of a sudden the gathering becomes more important than me. And I want what's best for you when we're here, not necessarily what's best for me. But my love for you and for the Lord is pouring out on you and you're doing this for me. And we're all caring for each other and loving each other through that experience. And so it's not about me as an individual in this place. Remember I said something in a sermon a while back. I wish I wouldn't have said it because it's probably the most questions I've ever got. I'd mentioned before, I don't even remember what the context was, but I said how maybe you shouldn't close your eyes during service when you're singing a song because then it's just kind of about you. This kind of harpens to that, harkens to that. Uh, But again, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to close your eyes once in a while as you're singing a song. Why? Because God does do something in the midst of this service even to individuals. And you are an individual. And so there are times don't get me wrong, when you're in this service, you're not even gonna notice anybody else. And you're gonna think, how in the world does Pastor Tim know exactly what's going on in my life right now? And the answer is Facebook. No, the answer is I don't. The answer is I don't, but the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit is working on you, just working on you, and that's good. That needs to happen. But when we understand the assembly better, Individualism gets pushed to the side. Third, worship is no longer consumer-oriented. The good of the whole is more important than just me and what I get out of it. Our focus goes from us to God and others. It's similar to the last one. 
Then fourth, worship is about God delighting and pouring out his presence among his people. As we gather this morning, whether you feel it or not, God's presence is amongst us. He's pouring out on you this morning his love through his word. For some of you, he's poured out his love on you this morning through a conversation you had with another church member. See, I remember leaving some services sometimes and people saying, ooh, the Holy Spirit was hot this morning. And it's like, no, the drummer was. No, the choir was. No, you just like that song. We can never leave as a gathered church who's faithful to the word of God and say, oh, the Holy Spirit wasn't amongst us this morning. No. Because as a believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And so when we gather in this place, we are worshiping God the Father and his son Jesus who sent us the Holy Spirit so that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can worship him how we should and accordingly, in spirit and in truth. And the way that God has organized us to do that is by gathering. My poor family has to hear many sermons during the week for me, because our family devotion time tends to be on what I'm preaching on, whether they like it or not. It's kind of like a practice run. And I was very happy that as we were talking about this week, one of my kids said, well, then what exactly did we do during COVID? We weren't able to gather. Was that church? So that's a good question. I said, if I had to answer it honestly and faithfully, I'd tell you no. And it leads to a lot of other questions. Multi-site campuses of churches. Is that church? I would say biblically, no. It's a bunch of individual churches. But it's not one church gathered in many places because that doesn't make sense. By its own word, church, it's the gathering, not in many places, in one place. Can we just do church in our homes, through Zoom and not gather? No. I can do that with a Michigan game. Just fine. The game goes on. Score's not impacted at all by me being there or not. We can't do that with church because we're called to gather. If the Lord ever calls us to have a bigger congregation, do we have multiple services? That would come into this question of gathering as well, wouldn't it? What does that look like? I guess we deal with that when it comes. But I would tend to think you got multiple churches there. You got your nine o'clock church. You got your 11 o'clock church. But you don't have one church. You got multiple churches. But this is driven by a theology of what is the church. And that's why this message is so important this morning. The church is the people of God gathered. And so if we want to be a faithful church, then we have to heed to what the writer of Hebrews chapter 10, what he said in chapter 10, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think it's very important for us as a church family to be here 
I've told you that. I've asked you to commit to that at the beginning of this series. I ask you to do it again. But I also want you to commit to reaching out to our other church members who aren't here. Because in them not being here, it's really difficult on two fronts. It's difficult, number one, on their front. Because they're never a part of the supernatural event that takes place every week where God speaks to us as a congregation called our Sunday morning worship. And that's bad for them. They need this. But on the second front, whether we feel it or not, we need them. Because they're our church family. And we love them. And we've committed, by being a member of this church, we have committed to care for one another. You see, when you join this church, it's just not about what you get, what Pastor Tim can do for you or the other pastors. You've signed on as a member to care for each other. And so it should hurt us when our family's missing. Just like you, mom and dad. If I came to your house and I thought, oh, your whole family's here, you must be so excited, but you know. Your one son is not here. It doesn't feel the same, does it? Because the whole family's not there. Let it be the same for us in the church. When we gather together, we look around and we say, the whole family's not here. I need to call him. I need to call her, not to reprimand, right? Not to punish, but to say, oh, how I miss you. I miss seeing your face. I miss hearing your voice. I miss getting to talk to you and find out what's going on in your life. I miss being able to share those things with you. And to love them in that way because this gathering is important. And so as we get ready to respond to the word of God, I'll just ask you again, will you again commit to the gathering? Or I guess I could say it this way. Will you again actually commit to the church because if you're not committed to the gathering then by the definition of the word you are not committed to the church and to the people of God and so I hope that you'll be committed to that let's bow together this morning God as we respond to your word I ask that you would help us to do it honorably and faithfully God I pray that this morning this word has come as loving because that's how it's intended. God, I know you've been doing a work in me when it comes to the gathering, because as I said, that's not my comfortable place, being around a lot of people. But God, your word is very clear that it is through this gathering that you work, that you speak to us. And as we'll see in the weeks ahead, there are means by which you do that. And God, sadly, too often, we've pushed those things down to be a very little significance. So God, I pray that over the next month, month and a half, you would help us to see the truth of your word. Not so that we can feel ignorant or anything like that, but so that we can see the love that you have for us more and more. God, you could have saved us and you could have left us on our own. You could have just said, okay, you're good. When you die, I'll see you. But that's not what you've established. That's not what you've done. Your word tells us that when you save us by your grace, through faith, that you join us together with the body of Christ. And as we see that play out in the New Testament, 
It's through different local churches in different areas. Yes, there is one body of Christ, all those who've been saved, but it can't play out that way realistically. And so you've called us to gather together with our local church under leadership, under care, all those different things. But God, you did this because of the love that you had for, have for us, for our good. So God, I ask that you would help us to see this gathering as that. God, as we ask that question, why do we gather? I pray that we'd be, answer, be able to answer that well and that we would look forward to gathering with our church family. We would love each other, that we would care for each other and that we would do that because we have been found in Christ and we are united in him, not for other things, but united in him. And God, I pray that we would be different from the world Pray that that would be recognizable because the old is gone and the new has come. Help us to not be ashamed of that. Help us to not walk around that way in a way that is pompous or arrogant. Help us to do it humble and in kindness, knowing that it's you who has saved us, not ourselves. And God, I pray that you would bring more to the fold not so that Monroe Missionary Baptist Church can have more numbers or anything like that, but God, so that your kingdom is growing, that your will is being done. That's what we want. That's what we pray for. So God, during this last song, work in our hearts, help us to respond to your word how we should, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.